0: You guys ready to hear God's word today? All right, so we, we started a new series online last week called My Church. And here's what I want to do, and here's what I'm trying to accomplish in this series is to give you a clear picture of what God has called us as a church to be. Now, when I'm, I'm, when I'm talking about my church, I'm talking about this church here, Grow Church. But how many of you know we're a part of the bigger C church? God's church across the globe. And here's what I believe. I believe that God has given us um, some clarity on what he wants us to accomplish. And, and that's what I want to do in January, is just to give some clear, clarity around values, around who we are as a church. And so last week you heard me talk about prayer. We're prayer-driven. That's one of our values. Because how many of you know that a prayerless church is a powerless church? I mean, there's no way that we can do ministry with any effectiveness unless we're praying. And so since I became pastor of this church almost nine years ago, I want to always want to make prayer a priority because I know I, I, in my own life, that's been a lifeline for me is my prayer life. and I had people in, in my life over the years who taught me how to pray, who modeled prayer for me, and I'm the person I am, I'm the leader I am, the pastor I am today because of prayer. Amen? And so I want you to, to understand that's one of our values. And so that's not the only one, and I want to give you some clarity around some of those as we're moving through the month of January. But I want to start here. We believe here at Grow Church that Jesus made a statement in John chapter 10. And we'll read this verse together. We believe he has a vision for every person's life. And so here's what it says. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But what did Jesus say? I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So it's God's vision for you to have a full life. Now, does that mean it's free of issues or struggles? No, it doesn't mean that. But in the midst of those, I believe God can give you a full life. Amen? So here's what we said. We said there's, there's a holistic approach to that full life, which means it's not compartmentalized. So you don't have your spiritual life, and then you have everything else. No, God wants to impact every area of your life. He wants to impact your relationships. How many of you know God wants you to have healthy marriages, healthy friendships, this is what I'm talking about when I say full life in relationships. How many of you want your relationship with him to continue to grow? Does he want that for you? Absolutely he does. He says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. This is a promise he made, all right? So we believe that this full life he, he declared in John ten ten is holistic. Not just your relationships, also in your health. How many of you believe God wants you healthy? Mentally? Emotionally? physically, and spiritually. God wants you healthy in all those areas. And so when we talk about full life, it's relationships, it's health. But lastly, it's also about your purpose. I mean, you know God puts you on here for a reason. You're you're on planet Earth for a reason. There's something God has you to do. Whether you're a plumber, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a pastor, whatever you're doing, God has put you on Earth to make a difference. So I believe that God is given us full life. When we discover those things, when we develop those skills and those talents that God has given us, we're walking in full life. Amen? And so that's that's where we want to start. But but I also want to talk to you about this idea of values, okay? That for us to get to full life, we have to embrace some values. And that's really what these messages are about. Prayer. Today, we're talking about worship. Should worship be a value for any Christian? Absolutely. And I put an adjective in front of it. This is our value. We're passionate worshipers. In other words, we're all in. And so this vision that God has for us to walk in full life includes us being passionate worshipers. So as I was studying for this and and preparing myself, I began to write out this, this vision statement that I want to read to you. And it includes all of the things that we value. So are you okay if I read this real quick? It says, I see a church that passionately pursues God in worship, that's driven to fervent prayer. Anybody with me so far? I see a church that loves God so much that they stay grounded in his word. I see a church that values all people, no matter what their, their upbringing is, no matter what their social status, the color of their skin. I see a church that values all people and is committed to the make, making disciples. I see a church that, that's committed to authentic relationships. I'm not talking about the how you doing, how you doing, you're fine. No, I'm talking about the nitty-gritty, taking-off-the-mask kind of relationships where we help each other, amen? I'm talking about a church that's generous, That doesn't mind giving. Amen. Because why? Because we serve a generous God who gave. I don't, I I see a church that exists to serve his church. Amen. I see a church that is committed to the next generation. To seeing the next generation fulfill their God-given purpose. I see a church that pursues excellence in everything. Why? Because God gets the glory when we do. I see a church that understands that you have to change in order to grow. And so what do we do? We embrace change. Folks, that's the kind of church that I see us becoming as as a body. Amen? It's passionate worshipers. So we're going to look at that today. And so I remember a a statement that I read one time where a pastor said, the local church is the hope of the world. All right? All right? And here's the reason I believe that, because Jesus loves his church. Would you agree? As a matter of fact, he loved it so much that he died for his church. He went to the cross for his church. And so when we align to that value, that Christ values his church enough that he died for it, we begin to be the church that he wants. So I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to start this off, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about football, anybody else passionate about football, any Georgia fans in here? Oh, I I knew I'd hear that. Folks, I'm passionate about football and it's evident, you know, if you ever sit with me and watch a game. Yeah, exactly. He did it for me. I was about to do it. That's one of my statements. What are you doing? So, anyway. But people recognize, y'all with me? They recognize that I love Georgia football. So, passion is recognizable, is it not? People can tell you're passionate about something. The same is true for our worship. People can tell when you're passionate about your great God. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to lay this foundation. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. We're going to talk about passion for worship, a passion for God's house, right? Okay? So we're going to start here with Christ's vision. What does it say? Now, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will do do what? Build my church. Everybody say my church. And watch this and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Listen, folks, if Christ made the promise he's going to build his church, you can take it to the bank. There's nothing the enemy could throw at us. Satan can throw at us that, that would defeat his church. Are you with me today? And so we need to understand this, this passion that we have for Christ's church is because he had a passion for his church. You know, some people see Jesus as this boring person that Walked around with sunken in face. You know, some of the movies kind of paint this picture of him. Can I tell you, he was not a, a, just a boring person. No, he was a passionate, zealous. Amen? And so he had a vision to see the world changed. He had a vision to see people come to faith in Christ and their lives be transformed. That's why he went to the cross. He's passionate about his church enough that he did that. And he's also promised that, that his church will be victorious. Amen. He's so passionate that there was a story in the book of John where he went into the temple and they were selling stuff. They were selling stuff. He was actually selling stuff for sacrifices, all these animals, and it, and it would just become this busy, just, and they were, you know, it, it wasn't good. So he confronts this. Let's read this together. John chapter 2. Watch what he does. He says, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Notice that what he did. He went to that trouble to make a whip. All right, He's, This is how passionate he is about his house. He said, And drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Notice the exclamation point. There's some passion in his voice, Right? Stop turning my father's house into a market. There's one one passage in the, one of the other gospels that says, "My house will be called a house of prayer." And you've turned it into a den of thieves. That's what he said. And so watch what his disciples recognized. His disciples remembered that it is written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." Now, if you don't realize that this this is this is taken from an Old Testament passage, Psalm 68 where there was a prophecy concerning the Messiah who would, who would make this statement, zeal for your house has consumed me. Was Jesus passionate about his church? Should we be passionate about his church? Absolutely, we should. And so we're following in Christ's footsteps, understanding that he had a passion for God's house, and so should we. So I was, before the, the first of the years. So those of you who, that were inspired you remember me mentioning two passages of scripture. I felt like God was leading me to those passages because, again, we're we're trying to recalibrate here in a new year and realign to what God's called us to do as a church. And so God took me back to Acts chapter two where there's this clear description of the early church and what they were doing, what they made of value. And I want to read these passages to you because they help, again, Give us a foundation, some clarity around who we are as a church. So go with me to Acts chapter 2, and I want to read this. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, everybody say each day. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship, or added to the church, those who were being saved. Now, what was the key? Whenever we do things God's way, you can, you can rest assured God's going to show up. Amen? And so what was the first thing they did? The Bible says they worshipped. Now, they were worshipping every day. Some of us, were worshipping once a week and you can't get here. Ooh. This message may be a little toe-squunching um, a little bit. It's okay, though, because my job is to challenge you, right? If I was just to make you feel good all the time, I wouldn't be doing my job. So this message is about challenging, okay? So they made worship a priority every single day. We're saying, let's make it a priority at least once a week, corporately, okay? Now, the Greek word for worship, if you've never studied this, is a word called proskuneo, right? It's It's a... A literal meaning of to kiss towards. So when you're worshiping, it's really about the nature of it is really relational. Very close, relational. It's a a relational thing to worship. Now some of us have been in in traditions of where it's, it's really rote. That's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying if it loses its relational context, it loses its emphasis. It loses its impact, right? So what I'm saying is, we have an opportunity and a privilege every week when we come in to passionately worship this God. And why? Because he did so much for you. He went to the cross for you. So the Lord brought me to these passages for us to be reminded that we can see what the early church valued and walk in that as well. So they valued passionate worship. They were all in. I got one more passage. Acts chapter 16. So the churches were strengthened in in what? In the faith and grew daily. So what's what's the object of being a part of a church? Not just having this experience every once in a while. No, it's a strengthening of our faith so that we can continue to grow. So there's an outcome of us making worship a priority, making prayer a priority, making God's word a priority. There's growth. When people are strengthened in their faith, the Bible says the church grew. So what are we going to do? We're going to value the things that God values. So I believe that I'm asking two questions of us today. Why not us? Why not now? Why can't Grow Church be a church where we see people being added to the church daily being saved? Why not now? Because that's the heart of God, folks. And I believe this. that If we make these things of value, God will give us that harvest that we've been looking for. And I understand 2020 and 2021 were some huge interruptions. Would you agree? I mean... Let's face it, you know, March through May here at Grow Church, we were watching, all of us were watching church online. That was a huge interruption, wasn't it? And then when we came back in the room, not everybody came back. Why? Because it was an interruption. I understand. I get it. Some people are still nervous about the the virus. I'm okay with that. But there's some of you, you were actually drifting away from church attendance even before COVID. I told you this wasn't. Challenging, folks. We value what God values. What did it say? Zeal for your house consumes me. So we have passionate worship as one of our values here at Grow Church because we understand the value in coming together as the body of Christ and lifting up the name of Jesus. We know the outcome, don't we? His manifest presence. And here's what I'm calling us to as a church in 2022. Let's recalibrate. Let's sit down and let's evaluate what's important to us, what our values are. And then once we do that, let's begin to live them out. Because I got some good news for you. When you make his house a priority, he responds. He does. He's a good God. Do you, would you agree? We sing that song. He's a good, good father. We sang it for years. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. And so I I just want to declare to you, when you make his house a priority, he makes you a priority. Come on, somebody. So Psalm 92 gives us a clear picture of how he responds to us when we have zeal for his house. Watch this. The righteous, everybody say righteous. Now, can I clarify? Let me just ask a question. How many of you are righteous in here? not in your own righteousness it's the righteousness of Christ but when when you are standing in Christ's righteousness you've been clothed in his righteousness God don't mind blessing you come on somebody it says he will flourish like a palm tree they will everybody say grow grow like a cedar of Lebanon verse 13 watch this planted where in the house of the Lord. Folks, this is good soil. When you get planted in the right place, it's good soil, and, there's, and therefore you expect something to happen. There's some growth. There's some fruit, right? And so when you're planted in the house of the Lord, it says they will flourish in the courts of our God. It gets better. Keep reading. Verse 14, they will do what? They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green. Folks, I don't know about you. When I'm 70 or 80 years old, I don't want to be this old prude who's all withered up and dried up. No, I want to be passionate for my God. Come on, somebody. So when, the, when, you, when you're walking with God, when, you're, when you've made Christ's house a priority, he don't mind you flourishing. So in what ways will he flourish you? You make His house and the corporate worship a priority. Your your relationships, right? Your marriages. We've already established God wants your marriages to flourish, doesn't He? Your health, your finances, your purpose, whatever your career is, whatever. Maybe you're a business owner. God doesn't mind blessing your business, especially if you make Him the priority. Come on, somebody. This is how he operates. Why? Because he's a good God. Amen? So here's what we're doing. We're planting ourselves in the house of the Lord. We're making corporate worship a priority. We have zeal and passion for his house. And then we're planted and we begin to bear some awesome fruit. The other other part of this is, this is another added bonus. We, We have, when we're planted in God's house, we have intimate relationships with others. Some of the best friends I have are in this room. Why? Because there's a commonality. We have a common thing that we're doing. We're we're seeking God. We're we're passionately pursuing God. And what happens? We have this like-mindedness. Then we have these authentic relationships that emerge where we can, again, like I said earlier, let down our guard. Let down our mask and allow somebody else to, to help bring healing to our lives. You know, the book of James tells us Confess our faults one to another so we may, we may be healed. That's what these relationships are all about because why? God wants you fully alive. So here's the issue. It's all about affection. Worship is all about affection. And we, we as humans have them, don't we? Yes. We have them. The problem is when our affections for other things are in conflict with our affection for god now like i said earlier i love i love georgia football but if i ever get to the place where football has my affection more than god it's an idol anything listen to your pastor anything that robs god of your affection is an idol It could be your career, it could be a relationship, it could be money, whatever it is, if it robs you of affection for God, it's an idol. Because God wants your affection. Why does he want your affection? Because he gave you all of his. When he went to the cross, did he not? When he said, it is finished, what he was saying to you, I love you this much, to go all in on the relationship. And all he's asking for is affection back, and I can tell, you can tell, I can tell my own personal relationship when my, when my affection for God wanes, my my desire to read His Word wanes, my desire for prayer wanes. You know, I come up, I come, I'm going to be here every Sunday, right? But even my, even my. My passion for standing before you and preaching God's word wanes when I when something else takes the place of his affection. So I can tell, I can tell when you guys start, when I start seeing some of you drift off from church, oh, something's up. Now I get it. Some people have been sick. That's great. That's okay. But I'm telling you, if, if it's a habit for you over and over again to miss church, something's wrong. Oh, pastor, you don't have to be, go to church to be a Christian. That may not be true, but I'm here to tell you it's, it helps. It's your lifeline. You can't do this by yourself. And so here, here it is. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Some of you are wondering why you feel so disconnected from God. Guess who moved? Can we do a heart check right now? I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I want you to just take these to heart. Here's the first one. How passionate are you about your relationship with God right now? Here's the second one. Has something else stolen your affection? So all this month, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what we value as a church. We're also going to evaluate where we are as far as how we feel about those. And we're going to continue to do a heart check. Your response to these questions say a lot about where you are right now in your relationship. Because remember what Christ did for you. He went to the cross. He went all in. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Amen? And so here's what he's saying to you. Matthew chapter 22. I believe this this clearly says to us what what he's expecting. Watch this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now watch this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Does that sound like passionate zeal for God? This is what he wants from us. Why? Because he did the same thing. He was all in. And so what is he expecting? He's expecting us to go all in to the relationship because of what he did. Here's how John describes it in 1 John chapter 4. He says, we love, Why? Because he first loved us. Our love, our worship to God is a response to what he's already done for us. It's it's what he's done and who he is. That's really what worship is, right? We respond to who God is. That he's faithful, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's holy, he's just. He's all those things and more. And when we respond to him that's worship. We love him back. The definition of of passion is strong and barely controllable emotion. You see, without work, without passion, worship becomes dry, routine, boring, and predictable. Keeping some form but lacking the spirit. Worship should express our devotion, our honor, and love of God. Passionate describes an intense desire, an ardent spirit, strong feelings, and a sense of heightened importance. Passionate speaks of an emotional connection that goes beyond intellectual consent. Passionate worship fosters a yearning to authentically honor God with excellence and with unusual clarity about connecting to God. You see, whether there's just 15 or 1,500 people in the room, passionate worship is alive, it's authentic, it's fresh and engaging. Amen? Amen? People in, in passionate worship are honest before God. They're open to his presence. They're open to hearing the truth of God. They're open to his will. And when that happens, we have this desire to reorder our lives. Why? Because we belong to God. Think about that for a second. So Being so passionate about God and his, and his church that you reorder your lives. Hmm. Passionate worship is engaging, it's honest, it's, it's alive. I love this. I was reading this out of a book. It says, in spiritually alive communities, there's a palpable air of expectancy as people gather, a vibrant curiosity about how God's presence will become known. Is that how you come into church? you come in with, this, with this, a sense of expectancy that God's going to show up and do something? to reveal himself, to show himself real. That's what I want for our church, that we continue to seek God, to come in with that kind of expectation. I love that. I love this. We expect God to pre- be present and speak to us through his word. Maybe a word of forgiveness, anybody need a forgiveness lately? Maybe a word of hope, anybody need any hope lately? A word of direction. Anybody needed any direction lately? Maybe a word of, a, of a just hearing from God. And then we lift our voices. We sing together. We, we pray together. We listen to the word together. And then we confess together. That's the hard part sometimes, right? Confessing our sins. We want people to think we're okay. But we're not always okay, are we? Anybody else feel that way? You're not always always Okay. And then we, we, what we did earlier, we celebrate together the sacraments. We celebrate communion. We remember Christ's sacrifice. Isn't it great to be able to do that on a regular basis? This is the kind of church that I believe God wants us to be, a passionate worshiping church. Amen. Amen. Can I give you some characteristics of a passionate worshiper? A passionate worshiper is all in. They love God. A passionate worshiper is authentic. Your worship is genuine. It's not, fa- it's not a facade. No, it's from the heart. A passionate worshiper, it's not emotionalism, but their emotions are involved, right? Because when I think about what God's done for me, when I rem- I'm reminded of His sacrifice, when I'm reminded that He was all in, these emotions well up inside of me and I can't help but worship. Amen? And so worship's not emotionalism, but it is emotional. Y'all with me? But it's not just about the emotions. If it was, it would be very shallow. It's also about here. When I come in and and I sing songs and I read the lyrics and I remember that my debt's been paid. It's been paid in full. How? By the blood of Christ. It's the old rugged cross. When I sing those songs and I, and I think about it here, something happens here. When I'm reminded about what Christ has done. So it's not just about your heart, it's also about your head. When I sing about the faithfulness of God, about, you know, we sing this song, I, 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 will, I celebrate the goodness of God, amen? Has God been good to anybody in this room? But when I see those lyrics and when I, when I sing those songs from, from here, it's intellect first, then something happens. And the two together, the intellect and the emotions, make for a pretty powerful worship. Amen? Worshipers, Worshippers, passionate worshipers, don't mind the criticism. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. When I'm watching Georgia, people know I'm passionate about Georgia, don't they? Because I'm hollering or I'm moving around. I can't even sit still during the game. People notice that passion. Well, shouldn't they notice that as well when we're worshiping God? If I can go crazy on Friday night... Watching the Orange Bowl, I can go crazy in here. Now, I'm not talking about, again, just weird stuff. I'm, I'm just saying our emotion, our, our, our worship has to be passionate. People can tell. So when, you, when you're worshiping that way, some people criticize, right? They don't understand where you've been, they don't understand where Christ brought you from. They don't understand that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, that you were addicted, that your marriage was in trouble, that Christ redeemed you. And so you're worshiping because of that. They don't understand that. That's okay that they don't understand that because you're going to do it anyway because God's brought you so far. I'm reminded in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David had, the, the children of Israel had, had lost, had the, the ark of God had been stolen from them, had been taken from them, and David's getting it back. Now, if you know anything about the, the ark, it really represented the manifest presence of God. And so when he gets it back, he's all happy. He's joyous because the presence of God has returned to Israel. Well, you know, if you read the whole chapter, you know that he didn't do it God's way. He tried to carry it a way that was not, that God, because God was very, how many know God's a very specific God? He's a God of order. And he told him. he said, the priests put these sticks through these rings on the ark and that's how you carry it. They put it on a cart. So they're you know, going down the, the road there and the, the cart t- stumbles and, and a guy touches it. And man, you, just, you can read the rest of that. It was pretty, pretty intense, but, but God was like, I'm serious about this. But then later in the passage, they're, as they're bringing the, the ark back, he's in front of it. David's in front of it. and every few steps, they're sacrificing. They're worshiping as they're taking the ark back to, to Jerusalem, right? And so he's like, he's all excited. He's celebrating the presence of God, and he takes one of his robes off, right? So he gets home, and I want to read this part to you. His wife, Michael, who's the daughter of Saul... She's not too happy. Watch this. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came to meet, out to meet him and said, now this is the most, I think this is one of the most sarcastic statements in the Bible, right? How the king has distinguished himself from himself today, going around half naked and full of all the slave girls of his services as any vulgar fellow would. Now watch his response. I'm paraphrasing. Honey, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your pop or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And then watch this. I will become, and he, okay, paraphrase. Honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes but by these slave girls you spoke of I will be held in honor. Listen, when people criticize you because you're passionate in your worship, don't listen. I will be more undignified than this because passionate worshipers don't mind the criticism. Passionate worshipers Are noticeable. I've already made that statement. It's hard not to know when somebody's really passionately worshiping God. God is pleased when our worship is very practical. Because, you know, worship, some of us have this misconception that worship's just singing a few songs at church and that's it. That's not that's a that's a segment of it. Worship's a great, I mean music's a great medium to worship God, right? It's great to sing and all that, but that's just one part of worship. Worship is very practical. Which means when you, when you give, that's worship. Or when you go and help the needy, that's worship. You see? It's not just a singing songs. It's a lifestyle that we're talking about. And this is why God honors it when, it's all, when we're all in. When we give ourselves in worship. Can I also declare to you that worship costs you? It costs you your self-centeredness because you can't exalt God and yourself at the same time. Here's the problem, I believe, in the church over the last several years. We've made it about us. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's not, no. Worship is not about you. When you come in here, your eyes are off of self. Your eyes are off of anybody else. Your eyes are fixed on the one who saved you, the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one who loves you. So you can't exalt yourself and him at the same time. True worshipers sacrifice that. As we're closing this up, Jesus made mention in John 14, John 4, he had a conversation with a lady at the well. You guys remember that story? And he told her, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. So when you think about the spirit, that's the part of you that connects with God, right? And so it's unhindered. It's no facade. It's no ulterior motives. When I'm worshiping in spirit, it's unscripted. It's heartfelt. It's grateful connection with him. And then when I worship in truth, I'm worshiping according to no facades, no fake, no ulterior motives, but I'm also worshiping according to scripture. So what does the Bible say? So you just take just the book of Psalms, for instance. How many of you know the book of Psalms is your hymn book? Come on. I will sing to the Lord a new song. I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Y'all, y'all with me today? Psalm 150, you know what it says? Praise the Lord in the dance. Praise the Lord in the tambourines. Praise the Lord with the high-sounding cymbals. Da-da-da-da-da. Praise the Lord with the harp and the lyre. There's so much clarity to how we can worship God and so much freedom in that that we need to listen and, and, and worship in truth according to God's word. That's who we are. As a church, we are committed to being passionate in our pursuit and worship of God. Amen. Remember, zeal for your house has consumed me. Do you feel that way today? Some of you are like, mm, I don't know. Can I, can I leave you with this statement and then I'm gonna give, we're going to do a response here. Passion excites people to see a greater picture. If the world is searching for something real, then shouldn't this this church be setting the passion bar high? What's your response? Number one, evaluate where your affection is right now. What has your affection, or who has your affection? Number two, don't hesitate to get Right back into worshiping with passion. Maybe you have drifted a little bit. Maybe your affections have drifted. Can I give you some good news? It's one step back, folks. Number three, rearrange your schedule to make corporate worship a priority. Number four, don't, don't neglect personal and private worship. Why? Can I tell you, folks, if all you're getting in worship is an hour or so on Sunday morning, you're starved. You've got to have that daily time of private worship. You've got to spend time alone, just you and God. Remember, worship's that, this, this intimate, close, relational uh, thing with God every single day. And I guarantee you, listen, if you'll do that when you come in here and worship corporately, It'll be night and day. Amen? Nobody's going to have to tell you to raise your hands. Nobody's going to have to tell you to sing. Nobody's going to have to tell you to clap. Why? Because you've been with God all week long. you gotta, you got something coming out. Amen. Come on, somebody. Number five, make passionate worship a lifestyle. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God work for god at work show up on time give a full day's work amen help those that are in need give whatever it is everything we do is worship to god amen thanks for joining us for this week's service we pray that god has used this time to greatly impact your life but it doesn't have to end here there are actually two ways that you can take this into the rest of your week with you first you can share Share in the comments what God spoke to you during this message and then press the share button so you can send this to a friend who could use the encouragement. Secondly, get connected, either by pressing the subscribe button or joining our Facebook group. We pray that you walk in the full life you were created for. We'll see you next week.